I think like soul nurturing to know that you started the day with a blank canvas and by the end of it you filled it up with this beautiful image that's literally your life all of my pieces on my Instagram is my story everything that I painted was coming from my pain and suffering art was healing creating was healing at the time it wasn't cool to do something creative because it wasn't going to be seen as like something lucrative our stories are being told for us so i think you know that was even more of a reason why i started to take art more seriously um because it was the only way that i could have a voice outside of the stereotypes that have been created for us and so i'm now in the backdrop of mexico which very much like india is very spiritually rich in its culture, its beauty, its vegetation. So the word weirder, which is my artist tag and name, means to wear your worth. Uh, welcome back to the Culture Cast podcast. I am joined today by an artist. Although she was born and raised in the UK, she is speaking to us from Oaxaca in Mexico. Welcome, Felipe Corbambi. How are you doing? I am very blessed, thank you. Good, good. Um, the way I like to start each and every podcast is basically just a bit of a bit of context, cultural context of your background, your upbringing. So if you if you don't mind uh, taking a trip down memory lane with us, uh, hopefully we can uncover where where you're from and your background. Okay, um, I guess the best way to answer that because that's a question I get asked a lot here is. I'm a stolen Sikh that was born and raised in England, in London. Um, my parents were actually born and raised in Kenya. And my grandparents born and raised in Punjab. So I prefer to say that I'm actually a product of somebody that was, that's come from Mother Earth. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say anywhere's particularly been home. So that's mm -hmm. how I can answer that question. But being born and raised in London, it will be Hounslow. Um, I was born in 81, 1981, so I considered myself first generation. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe a bit more about your, your upbringing in Hounslow, because I know that's a very diverse place as well. Um, and, and what was that like? So at the time in the 80s, it was a very diverse place, definitely. Um, I've come from a very big family, and to be honest with you, my dad came to Ken, um, came to England at the age of 20 with his siblings um, so they were they were all very young um, and my dad's only one of six brothers that actually married a Sikh woman so my uncles and aunties actually married out whether it was like Hindu um, white like very multicultural so I think in hindsight I'm actually really grateful that I got raised with Sikh principles and oneness, but with real practice, because I had cousins that didn't match my skin or didn't practice the same way, but we were very much like there to, to love each other. And we, we have, you know? So um, yeah, I'd like to say that my family are very open-minded and don't fit into the stereotypes I believe that Sikhism has become. Yeah, I often talk on this uh, as it's called the culture culture cast like the culture podcast um and most of the guests i've had so far have been like punjabi sikh and i often talk about like the differences that uh the religion and the culture has they're very like yeah. separate entities but i think that is w with most religions and most cultures wherever you go is that the religion is uh i always say the religion is what it's supposed to be 
and the culture is what people have made it. Like obviously you always hear look geeky again there and all them things. So it's like it's sort of what the the, the religion's what it was supposed to be and then the culture sort of what it's ended up becoming because of obviously people and obviously we're, we're all flawed human beings we've got egos and things like that so mm, mm. that's that's where the sort of culture side comes from it um co- coming from like a background obviously kenya and punjab as well did you have you been back to kenya do you still have family there yep yeah so again i was very lucky that when my dad first arrived to england he managed to get himself a job with british airways so i got on my first plane at the age of six months um, and to be honest with you, we travelled every year, whether that was going back to Punjab, Delhi, like India, or going back to Kenya. So I've been to both more than 10 times. Um, and we have family in, in both places, as well as everywhere else on the globe. But yeah, those two in particular, in terms of our roots and heritage, yeah, it's been really important to, to go back. Yeah, it is, it is really cool. Like, there's, there's Indians all over the world uh, after, like, obviously the British Raj and all that. So um mm-hmm. i didn't even know some of the places until starting this podcast one of the one of the first guests i had was a mma fighter from new york and he's uh from guyanese descent and uh you said there's nice. a big population in, in guyana as well um which I, I was unaware of i knew of kenya and a couple of other places like uh, uganda and things like that i knew that um there was a big indian presence there but it is surprising how uh, uh how we would just got shifted around like pawns on a chessboard do you know what I mean like back in the day I mean for me to be honest with you it's a bit more of a fresh wound knowing that Sikhism's only like a 500 year cycle so for me I've gone a bit deeper with regards to like my art and stuff like that um with just the story of partition and what that actually did in terms of Sikhs and how we've ended up I think now being dotted about the whole globe we're all over the world because we got completely taken out of our motherland Um, and to be honest with you many genocides since then on our people currently just facing one as we speak Mm -hmm. um, that I was a bit more in tune with my seat vibration and diaspora before we even had a name for it that's just something that we've been given very recently Mm -hmm. so I think you know we've got to be really careful how we're on the front line of our own heritage and how that's kind of being our stories are being told for us so I think, you know, that was even more of a reason why I started to take art more seriously, um, because it was the only way that I could have a voice outside of the stereotypes that have been created for us and to be able to challenge things outside of being called a terrorist or or someone that was fueling hate to do it. Because yeah. that's what I feel is, is, is what's happening, like for us to be able to have truth about our heritage and our, our roots, it's being questioned and we're being told that we can only see it in one particular way and that is colonial with, with uh, the farmers for as we're saying that at the moment obviously with with it's it's became a more religious issue than than actually like a farming issue do you know what I mean like it's 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 farmers against the government i don't think so i i feel like it is so i i i don't feel that at all well, how, um, how do you i don't see think it? it's a religious issue um i think it's I think it's more of a humanity issue. I think that's the whole point of Sikhism. Um, so again, we're not doing this because we're trying to just do it for Sikhs. We're doing it for humanity. No, no, I'm saying I think Sikhs it's becoming food. It'll be uh, the whole of the globe. I think it's becoming a religious. But that's issue. propaganda. If that's no, what no, that's what I'm saying. Done, that's what I'm saying. For me, yeah. it hasn't. Okay. 
So yeah, yeah. no, for me, I, I, it hasn't. And I think for me, we've got to be careful again as to what media are trying to do because they've historically always done that and tried to scapegoat our religion um, versus our actual practices. Our practices are for everybody and it's about humanity. It's not just about us being Sikh and, and wanting to have our own state and becoming it's nothing to do with that for me personally. Because um, again, like, you know, people talk about Khalistan and stuff like that. From an evolved perspective, I believe like, to me, most of my Sikh community that lived and born and raised in, in England are the ones that are actually holding the economy right now. So in terms of Khalistan, um, that's going to be anywhere that I've built to make this world work. So for me, that's, that's England. It's got most of my heritage, most of my Raj and a lot of my hardworking people um, that are basically carrying the whole economy. And if, if not, then they're actually helping where the, the government are kind of, there's gaps where they're not doing work. So even, for example, when Grenfell happened, it would be our communities that were out there making sure that there was aid for people and that there was food for people. Casa Aid is still doing that. Yeah. So again, it's not just a Sikh thing. We're doing it for everybody. You know, 100%. Like that, that's what I'm saying as, a, as an... Um... I think the the problem is a farmer's issue problem. Do you know what I mean? That has obviously gotten to this point now where obviously with the protests happening, it's escalated to the point where the government and media are, are scapegoating and making it a religious issue. It's Absolutely. the oldest trick in the yeah, book. Yeah, it's propaganda. Yeah, it's the oldest trick in the book. Dividing Absolutely. Country. We're seeing it with yeah. Brexit. We're seeing it with the Trump election. We see it all the time. There's anything big. It's dividing conquer. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But it, it is interesting to see how things will pan out because um, it has obviously been going on for, for very long now. I mean, I, I did a podcast previously uh, breaking it down, got a few guests in to sort of explain the issue and to make it universally understandable. So if anybody wants to listen to that, they can go back and listen to it. But it is, um, it, it's not nice when you see, like obviously coming from my family, I've got relatives who are farmers in India. It, it does hit that sort of sore mm. spot. Uh, and that's not a religious 100%. issue. It's, it's purely no, because it's, it's a one human of the, issue. Yeah, and it's one of the hardest yeah. uh, graphs that you'll do. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so, coming to your time in Mexico, where there were a lot of farmers as well, uh, what what made you decide to to move um, to Mexico, and like when did you make that choice? It wasn't a conscious decision. To be honest with you, I was invited to Mexico um, for a 10-day artist residency um, on in March 2020. Um, oh. So I literally was only coming here for 10 days, and that was also just on the basis of the area that I'm staying in is quite touristy. Um, and in these kind of areas, the tourism seems to attract a lot of like spiritual kind of practices, retreats, those kind of spaces. And to be honest with you, coming from England and being in those spaces, from like the mainstream outside of our kind of gurdwaras and, and from my elders perspective, um, it's being, it's a trend, it's being sold, you know? So they're actually now people making money off it um, and practicing Kundalini yoga in like, festivals so that's all trickled down to these kind of areas now because festivals have been shut down for the past year mm -hmm. um so yeah i kind of found myself being invited to this retreat but more on the basis is that the person that was actually organizing it was venezuelan and she was very conscious of the fact that 
all the people that were coming were Western and white. So she really wanted somebody that would be a representation of just a woman of color or some sort of like cultural heritage um, as, a, as an artist, a visual artist. So I was sat in this meeting and for once, I have to say, that was me, you know? Yeah. So I was like, wow, oh, finally, there's like a, there's a need for us, you know? People want to actually hear like, your voice. And of course, it's never going to be anyone from the West. It was a Venezuelan sister whose wounds were almost like very similar. So it was like, no, 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 we want to be seen. And we don't want to be seen as being sellouts because we're in very white spaces. So I was very happy that finally, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like going to be somewhere that I'm going to be sort of welcomed. Um, as soon as I arrived, I completely was not aware of the fact that everything was attached to nudism and um, just the nude community. Of course, I'm not a nudist and I don't feel like I have to take my clothes off for anybody. So I was just really uncomfortable straight away <laughs> thinking, how the hell did we get to this? Like, why, as a woman, do I have to sit here and be heard by taking my clothes off? No. Yeah. So it was, it was really triggering. So uh, to be honest with you, as soon as I arrived, I wanted to leave. Because I was like, this is not, this is not who I am. This is not my journey. This is not how I've kind of got through life to then come here and forget where I've come from because it makes you comfortable for me to be sat in a room to hear my voice but with my clothes off like mm -hmm. it was very bizarre so I just kind of found myself as soon as I came here that I was just challenging things that I just didn't really agree with because to me it was very much from that mental slavery it was very much coming from just females not being empowered and very much pondering to the patriarchy so I'm now in the backdrop of Mexico, which very much like India is very spiritually rich mm -hmm. in its culture, its beauty, its vegetation. And I'm supposed to come here and be the same as the colonizer now and just take what I want from it. But no, I was like, no, this is, I have not come this far for this. So by day four, I was ready to leave. Yeah, what made you by say? By day four, lockdown. So COVID happened. Oh. And I was the only person that had come all the way from England. So there were nine other people that had come from New York. For them, that's a local flight. Yeah. And to be honest, this is when I started to realize how much my practice as a Sikh was being tested versus most people that are following a trend. And now we're going to see who's going to make the right decision to them that just follow. So we've got a, a saying that we say here in Mexico, when people say, just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. dead fish go with the flow I'm not a dead fish I'm here to follow my own hookum which is my divine order yeah, so yeah. straight away when people were rushing back because they thought the infrastructure in Mexico is not going to be able to handle a pandemic and there's going to be dead bodies on the street everywhere and we're not going to we're going to run out of food my logic was saying run out of food because God's going to close the trees <laughs> I don't think God's got that memo you know, um, we're going to be dying because our vessels are so like riddled with lower vibrational crap food, to be quite honest. Zero exercise and very bad lifestyles and pollution back in England versus this nature, amazing exercise. You don't see many people driving cars around here. It's not something that's encouraged. Yeah, they're very healthy. You know, so I was like, I see straight. 
so I'm staying. So all of those things were my decision and a six month visa, to be quite honest with you, that I just thought, what am I going back to? I'm going back to paying rent in an apartment that I can't afford, that I'm not gonna be able to pay for because now as a self-employed artist, I have no work versus me staying here for free. I can eat for free and I can live my best life. Yeah. It wasn't a difficult decision. I'll be honest. Very, very good decision to be fair, because England with it has not dealt with it's this hell. pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really hell. bad. I think we're we're yeah, way over like one hundred twenty thousand deaths as well in the pandemic, and I think a point that you touch on there is is the sort of lifestyle that's lived over here. Do you know what I mean like it is very hustle and bustle? You're always in your car. You're always sitting down somewhere, whether it be yep. on a desk or a car or a bicycle. Well, not even a bicycle because hardly anyone uses them either. Do you know what I mean? And it's all processed right. foods as well, which is is horrible. It, I can see from the background as well; it looks very vibrant. Um, what is like the, what is the sort of diet and lifestyle like over there? Pretty much fish, fresh fruit, and fresh vegetables. Like I can eat fish that would be caught this morning. Mm. That's really not the same as to what we're getting back at home now. Like when I was leaving England, I was hearing about family businesses being closed down because of certain rules and regulations. Now, what I'm seeing is you guys have to buy from corporations. You have to buy food that, to be honest with you, is giving you no nutrients and no life force whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Then you have to take vaccines, whereas over here, I've met a few people that have had COVID and their bodies have fought it. So Mm -hmm. actually now their immune systems are stronger because that's what it's supposed to be. Our bodies are supposed to do that. So I'm very much somebody that, believes and trusts God from the moment I was brought into this realm. I never dropped out of that. So when I'm being told that this is God's planet and this is God's order, I believe it. So I never dropped out of that. So in terms of the propaganda and I guess the stories that people want to believe versus people like myself that are going to be called conspiracy theorists, you can call me a conspiracy theorist or you can call me God's people. I prefer God's people, to be honest, because it seems everyone else is sold out. Yeah, it's um. I always like I always have parallels between the diet in Mexico to the one in India, to be honest, because they are like on a exactly on, the same. Yeah, they're on the same equator line yeah. as well. So most of yeah. the most of the diet there is when you think of like um, and obviously this is probably stereotypical, but like tacos and and things like that, and and um, what is it? Uh, quesadillas, the ones in like tortilla wraps. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's basically just a roti. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> literally. The way we eat, to be honest with you, culturally, the way we live, for me, the Mexicans are very much like Punjabis. Yeah. In the time that I've been here, I've been over a year. And I'll tell you honestly, brother, I have not paid rent anywhere I've lived. Everyone <laughs> has treated me like family. You know, they're like, no, no, really, we, we want you here. And to be honest, more and more people just want to know about my Sikh roots. They want to know where I've come from. They want to know, they want to understand my vibration. Mm-hmm. And it's been beautiful. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but there's also a whole thing about the lost Sikhs of Mexico. So in oh. terms of our influence and where we've been, yeah, I've basically met a few third, fourth, fifth generation Sikh Mexicans. So I know that our, our influence has been global. They cannot, they can write us out of history, but actually when you step into into different lands you I deny our vibration can't be denied like it's felt I was just about to ask that if there was a big Sikh community uh, over Mexico it's very interesting to hear that Cancun 
yeah, Cancun, I'm yet to go. So I have been invited to actually paint a mural in solidarity with the farmers' protests. Um, but at the moment, we're in another lockdown. So I've just been very respectful of the fact that I've lived in this village. So if I was to go out mm -hmm. and potentially go to the city and then come back, I could be potentially bringing that in. So right. I've just been really respectful of their order here because it works. Yeah, no, definitely. Like um, when you go somewhere, you should always be respectful of wh wherever you go. The the other Absolutely. thing that I was going to say of, of the similarity is that um, <laughs> this is a bit more, of a, I don't know if it's funny, I find it funny, but when you look at Mexicans' body structure, a lot of them do look like Punjabis as well. Like they have like a big Punjabi build. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how I say it respectfully. Should I tell you what else? <laughs> No, because they work hard. They're yeah. really engaged in their body. And the way that they work is not like office jobs, like what we've become in the West. They're still very engaged with working like the farmers yeah. on the land, serving Mother Earth. That's mm -hmm. what we're here for. So in terms of even, like I say, when, they, when we talk about caste system in Sikhi, that's not ours. That's colonial. So for me, over here, there's a saying of uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Great. I'm definitely one of those people. Like, I'm good with my hands. I've got a lot of different trades. I can kind of adapt to wherever it is that I'm in. So, to be honest with you, that's more genius than having one trade and being stuck with it. Yeah. So, I just think that's all part of the mental slavery. And to be honest, everyone here walks around with a machete. So, for me, that was straight away very much similar to us walking around with good fans. Yeah. So, as like another sort of thing for myself, I got like this tattoo done on yeah. my neck and it's of a machete. So again, that was something that I kind of did to initiate myself here because I was very aware then as to how important my voice was here. So then I was kind of in these very white spaces when people want to know about my culture and my roots while they're sitting on a stage getting paid to teach Kundalini yoga. I was like, nah, we're not doing that again. <laughs> you don't just get my insight for nothing. You know, I'll do this in a podcast because you're giving it space and like, that's going to be able to help and kind of like transform to other people. But for one person's ego, for you to get paid off my culture, no, 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 I'm not doing that again. You know, I'm not colonized in, in terms of my voice is something you just get for free. My insights are my wounds. This has come from my own healing. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't, I don't do this from ego. Like I do it because I genuinely want people to sort of change and shift. Yeah, it's, I think when anything becomes a trend and, and, and things like that and money gets into it, that's obviously when people just capitalize it on it, do you know what I mean? Like people won't actually know. Defensive. Yeah, but yeah. people won't know what they're doing. They're just saying, oh, here's, here's a way of making money. Let me train in whatever is the topic, trending topic. And get a moment. certificate. Exactly, yeah, Literally. like a certificate. <laughs> I'm like, did God give that certificate? I didn't know God was doing certificates now, but that's great. <laughs> God's, do God's doing yoga courses now, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> all right um, wicked because you went out uh out there for art um uh, just just take it back to probably as you were a kid i imagine is when you first got into art like how how did you first what was your first like uh sort of uh introduction to it how did you first start getting into it my mom yeah to be honest yeah so my family my mom has come from a very creative like family i mean to be honest with you to even say that i'm going to change that we've come from a very creative background as Sikhs you know mm -hmm. I think that's something that's very much in us uh, whether it be musically like artistically poetically whatever um, so I was very blessed to kind of grow up seeing my mum have a boutique in Hounslow um, just off of Hounslow High Street she used to make her own clothes 
very much infused with like Western and like Indian kind of style. I remember growing up doing like window displays for her. It was just something we were always around. So I have to say growing up, I never questioned it. I thought that was normal. Um, it was only until I started to go to school and the whole education kind of background and set up that you start to realize at the time, it wasn't cool to do something creative because it wasn't going to be seen as like something lucrative. Yeah. But unfortunately for me, I didn't have that choice because academically, like on paper, I didn't get the grades. So I wasn't considered smart. I was in the bottom set for everything. Uh, the only thing that I was in top sets for was textiles, art and drama. So I just kind of gave myself a little template from a very young age that I'm never going to really be smart. I'm never going to be a doctor. I'm never going to be an accountant. So just make this art thing work. Um, and to be honest, my mom doing fashion and that being very much part of our, our roots and heritage, I just decided to stay into that and did my degree in fashion. Okay. So like you, you just sort of rolled with the punches sort of thing. and, and sort Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, I was just very much an outcast from my school days because like I went to Heathland School in Hounslow, which was very much seen as like an academic school every year. And now again, when I look back, it's so part of mental slavery that our parents have come all this way. And as their children, we have to work harder, pay more for our further education and make sure we get really high paid jobs that to be honest with you, are very depressing, very stressful. So someone like me doing art back then was seen as I've sold out, I'm whitewashed, I kind of don't really see more for myself. So do you know what I mean? That was the template then. But so the being 39, it was completely the opposite. We didn't have social media. Mm -hmm. We didn't have things like that to kind of like give, our, give us a reach. We had to be allowed out. And even that, we were allowed out. And even that was almost like frowned upon. So where my parents were trying to raise us to just be warriors, because that's who we believed we were, they would get so much judgment on the basis of supporting us as their children by doing something creative. So I have to say, like in hindsight, I really respect and have a lot of love and admiration for my parents and how they raised us. Yeah, I think I outside think most, of culture. Yeah, I think most most of the time, like obviously, it's it's the same with a lot of immigrants, not just obviously up and there, but when when you have people who have came from a different country, they they usually tend to work long hard hours whether it be a manual job or they become self-employed and then what they want is for their children to perhaps not have to go through them difficulties do you know I mean they, they go like do the formal education you'll have a nice secure stable income but a lot of the times like uh, it, it doesn't have to be the case like that's that's not going to fit be a fit for everybody do you it's know done mean? yeah that's such an old template that we need to evolve from um, to be honest with you, for me now, I'm like, further education is, it's just programming. We know that now, that like we're, we're able to learn so much more from just going to places or seeing things on the internet, from TED Talks, the podcast, like even this, you know, this is probably more educational now in, in terms of what we're going to get from a textbook that we were learning from 20 years ago. Yeah. It's, it's actually ridiculous. I think it depends what you want to do though because like certain things I think you still do need a degree like if if for example um I don't know optometry do you know what I mean? like you still need like qualifications to be able to like give somebody a proper eye exam I assume or like a, a law degree or a doctor like the traditional I things mean, I feel like still are valid 
uh, I, yeah, the traditional things are valid, but to be honest with you, before like universities and things like that existed, that people were still doing things. They were still getting things done. I mean, like I, I shared with you, I got my tooth done here like two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's shocking because a lot of people would say that, that, oh, how do you know if you even got like a proper dentist or if you got this or how you got this qualification and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, to be honest with you, I got butchered in England going to like the dentists there. It's no, it's no different. I think more than anything now, I want to know whether or not this person's going to be humane. Are they going to see me and treat me like a human being or are they just going to poke and prod me because that's what their certificate has given them the encouragement to do so. So I don't trust the, the doctor system, the hospital systems. And I say that because I've been in it. I was gifted meningitis in 2016. I was diagnosed. I mean, even that, I wasn't diagnosed. It's a process of elimination. Um, and to be honest, it just gave me a real insight to the system and what it is that we're all so confidently saying that, oh, but you need a degree to be a doctor. To be honest, common sense is not common. I'm not a doctor, but I'm somebody that's very connected to my body. It's my body. Mm-hmm. So when I've got these people with their clipboards trying to tick boxes and tell, telling me about my lifestyle, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I don't actually come from an office job. I haven't come from any of those things. I'm an artist and this, this, and this is what I'm doing. It made me really realize how much even the system in terms of the medical system is enslaved. It got to a point that I was refusing medication because they wanted to give me something that was opium based and was giving me seizures. So now I've got a neuroscientist and a microbiologist arguing about my body, both trying to decide whether or not I've been diagnosed with epilepsy. Meanwhile, because I've come from a care background, I was a carer at the age of 17 without a degree, doing this kind of work, administering medication to people that were vulnerable. So you've got to understand this was first generation where we were doing those jobs as 17 year olds. Mm -hmm. So I knew that there's a thing called contraindications with medication. I have been diagnosed with a low immune system, that neurological problem. And then these people that are in power because they've got a degree have given me a medication that is now giving me seizures. I'm all right, thank you. I don't trust the doctors. I got discharged. The woman that was next, door, next to me who didn't have this knowledge was leaving with six months worth of prescription for epilepsy drugs. She didn't have epilepsy. It was a contraindication of a medication that the system is using called Tremadol. So no, I don't trust these degree people with their doctors and their certificates. It's done. Again, I, I still think there is a place because I think the problem actually happens because people try to know too much and when you know too much you end up knowing very little do you know what I mean so if you go to like a specialist for that'd one, be doctors that'd be your your, your, your GP. puppets that are kind yeah. of giving us uh well even in the hospitals like for me off the back of cuts in 2016 who's talking about the death toll on the weekends because now apparently there's no doctors available in certain wards in a hospital i can say this because i was there Mm-hmm. I can evidence all of this because the doctors themselves were telling me on a Monday morning, you have a power with, ca- you have a case with powers if you'd like to report it. Why? Why? I'll be another person while however many people have just died over the weekend and no one's talking about that. I'm all right, thank you. So do I believe that COVID's even being like the tallies and even the, the, the information on that? Is, no, I don't believe that. I don't at all because they were about to diagnose me with epilepsy when I didn't have epilepsy. Nah, I don't trust the system. I'm yeah, all right. Back, I'd rather back. die. 
I think with integrity. Go- <laughs> I think it goes back to what we were saying before with uh, the the where money comes into it, then obviously things get fraud. Do you know what I mean? And obviously, like the drug industry and, and everything, you take one pill, you need another pill for that pill side effects, and then you need another pill. You for are that what thing. you eat. Exactly. Let's go back to the farmers. You are what you eat. This is the reason why it's so important to them that at the end of the day, we're not going to sell out on the food. The fact that your your body regenerates its cells, it's everything to do with the food that you're eating. So for me, when I cut myself here, my body's healing in about two, three days. If that was in England, it's going to take a lot longer. Because mm-hmm. the food that I'm eating is not regenerating my cells on the same level. I'm no doctor, but for me, that's just like common sense, no? Yeah, exactly. And it's not just the food, it's the air quality. Like, obviously, here's pollution's really 5G bad. 5G radiation. Mm-hmm. I don't have that here. They care um, about nature here more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, from the background, you can tell because it does look very nice. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, I think in Western countries where or, or developed countries where everything's about convenience, I think that sort of art is lost, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to put it into chronological order as well that, to be honest with you, before this whole third world, first world became even a thing, whilst we were getting colonised, we were being called uncivilised for the things, the very same things that were being sold back now and being yeah. told that this is now Ayurvedic. The amount of people here that said, do you know about Ayurvedic? I'm like, are you for real? Like, literally, this is my cult. This is my, this is my grandparents. They are the epitome of Ayurvedic. From the time that they even rocked up to England, do you think they still even eat a piece of meat or eat any of this, like, low vibe? No, they're more vegan than anyone here that thinks that, you know, they're more woke. Yeah. So I'm like, again, while you start killing our elders, because they're the ones that are the keepers of our knowledge, look at history. In terms of the West, there was things like the witches. These women were being killed because they had this knowledge outside of the patriarchy, which we're now saying the doctors know exactly what they're doing because they've done degrees. So what are our grannies then? You know, because this is all the same things that our grannies used to tell us. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting because like, I, I said it on a podcast before. Again. I said it on a podcast before with Churchill uh, and, and the British Raj and, and things like that with um, coal as toothpaste. And, and now it's getting so back to us. Yeah, charcoal, sorry. Um, as toothpaste yeah. and now it's getting so batteries and, and at a very expensive rate as well when you go to Tesco's and you see a truck it's double or triple the normal price because okay. it had to come from a western corporation or it had it couldn't come from our elders or from some third world yeah. like colored person do you see what I'm saying that's colonial this is still slavery again going to that book it has like a, it, it speaks like very highly of like turmeric and obviously in our culture that's it's in everything Kurkumao. exactly yeah, yeah. That's like here. it's, it's, it's here as well but now you go and here the it's and not. You get it in a capsule <laughs> right and you get it in your tea and you get it yeah. in this and you get it in your yogi tea and i'm like wow how much are you making on that yeah because it is just about money these that's people it. just making money off of our practices um but going back to your art so because we went we went on a bit of a tangent there <laughs> yeah. going back to your art so you you found that um Art's the one for you. You're not very academically gifted, but you like things that are very creative. You go into university. And then after university, how how do you start basically, I guess, making money from art? Well, to be honest, it had nothing to do with any of those things. So I realised from university, I had to unprogram everything that I was programmed um, to learn because the reality of working in the fashion industry and being female was 
as soon as I came out and started to find a job in it, that was the first time that I actually encountered and understood racism was a thing. Right. So you've got to understand growing up in Hounslow, being around other people that match your skin was actually a real safety net because mm-hmm. I experienced racism more from a perspective of the racism between just like Sikhs and Muslims or like within caste system or, you know, it wasn't so black and white. So we got like a bit more of a deeper perspective on that. Um, and then as soon as I go into like the working industry of fashion with my degree, it terms, it seems none of that mattered. And it was more about how I looked. Right, so yeah. actually, me getting a degree had nothing to do with nothing. And then when I'm starting to be in very white spaces and I'm actually hearing mm-hmm. white mothers say to their daughters that you don't have to get a degree. This is in front of me. As in, they do, because they're people of color. They got to work harder. But you, you're pretty. You can work your way up. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, what does that mean? So actually, where now, from the diaspora, as women of color, Sikh women in particular, with very strong like spirit, being told that actually we need to shrink ourselves, fit into this colonized perspective of what a woman should be, and that's hypersexual, just shut up and look pretty, because you need to just sell clothes. So sex sells. So what did I need a degree for? So to be honest with you, working in the industry from Topshop to Harrods to All Saints, all the top names that people on paper would say, oh, well done, Philly, you made it. Oh, she's a visual merchandiser for this company now. She, none of those conversations made me feel good. It was like I had sold out from a really deep wounded perspective because it actually was very much in time and in line with when my grandfather had ascended. So this was 2010. Mm-hmm. So 2010, I decided, oh, no, no, 2010, I was triggered into feeling things from a bit of a different perspective because my grandfather is no longer here. So my safety net of I know who I am because he's here had gone. So as soon as my grandfather's vessel was gone, as a Sikh, Nihang-looking thing, strong, solid man, didn't say much, but his presence was enough, ripped my heart out. I genuinely thought, oh my gosh, I have totally messed up. I haven't had enough conversations with him. I didn't ask him enough questions. I should have done this, I should have done that. So it's all of those things that you just, it's bereavement. It's, it's the first time that I've actually lost someone of great value to me. So straight away, I found myself going to the doctors to say, I can't cope. Yeah. They've then said, I've got mental health issues. And I'm like, because my granddad died. No, that's not mental health issues. That's bereavement. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. So straight away, they tried to give me tablets. They give me a little box of tablets to say, these are antidepressants. Now you could go and take those and you'll feel better in about a week. And I'm like, because my granddad's going to come back? I don't understand. Yeah. So anyway, I took them for about two days. And to be honest with you, it stripped me of my spirit. I felt nothing. I was like a, a zombie. Mm-hmm. And it was really triggering. And again, I'm grateful that I've come from a very solid family where we're very old school in that sense, where we don't set out to meds. So my dad was like, we need to go to India. So my mum and dad decided that we were going to go to India. 
I took a trip to Hazul Sahib. I took a trip to Punjab. And to be honest with you, I believe I connect to who I am, who I'm supposed to be here. I think I connected to my hukum and art found me. Because I found Wahidru, to be quite honest. So I started to communicate through my art and then start to be shown things in my real world and then start to realize that this was the magic. This was how I was practicing and keeping connected to what it is that I'm here for. So I think, to be honest, I went anti-fashion and found myself picking up a spray, a spray can because yeah. I got invited to an event called Femme Fierce. So Femme Fierce was for International Women's Week and it was in 2014 where they had basically asked for an all-female takeover. So I thought, excellent. I really want to connect with some sisters now and I really want to start, you know, figuring out this whole, like, challenging the patriarchy and just being a real Sikh woman. And the reality was, as soon as I got to Femme Fierce Leak Street, Waterloo, I'm one of 100 females. Not many women of colour, to be honest. I think I was, like, one of two. The other one was foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, wow, I've hit jackpot. This is great, you know, this is everything I've worked hard for. But the reality... They were no women. It was bitchy. It was fake. Um, no one was in their heart center. The whole thing was about raising awareness for women with breast cancer. But a lot of the artwork was just women with their breasts out. So again, I was like, where, where's the compassion at in terms of like women understanding other women? We're doing this to raise awareness about breast cancer where women will actually lose their breasts. And you're all painting images of them with their breasts out. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So for me, that's when I start to realize sex sales, whether it's in fashion industry, whether it's in marketing, whether it's advertising, whether it's women in the West that really want a piece of the, the male ego, being on stages and actually getting a pat on the back as a woman for painting and another woman naked. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it where I've come from so So again what what I ended up attracting um I ended up attracting like information so I I went down the whole route of before I went and found activism activism I went down the route of trying to make this art thing because I was still enslaved academic so I ended up getting approved for a master's in art psychotherapy because it turned out on paper I had enough experience having worked in the um, the care sector from 17 to about 29. Um, I had enough like hands-on experience versus the academia. So again, I was like, great, touche. Again, I feel like this is like my grandfather guiding me. Mm-hmm. The reality was as soon as I got let in and it's like my first month, we're supposed to find a placement, a clinical placement. They found it for me. It's in a mental health ward. I'm now being shown the mental health facts. And in England, we still use electric shock therapy. Oh. From a human seat perspective, I don't agree with that. And then they're saying, statistically, we use it more on women than men. As a woman, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Because again, we've got, we've got access to our emotions. We have the right to have access to our emotions because we are in tune with our wombs once a month. Men don't have that. So when my emotional response can fly out of my mouth and then I've got a man that wants to then judge that and through his fear, 
order five people to pin me down and electrocute me, I'm not going to be part of that. I didn't so even know they really. still did that. Yeah, so again, these degrees and whatnot, I don't want them because it's not human and we're still doing stuff like that and there's still people agreeing to it. Not my karma. I'm not doing that to my spirit. It's traumatic. So, and in the same breath, what I'm seeing in the mental health sector, so we go on. I was going to say, so, so when, when, when did you start to formulate like your, your own style? When did you sort of detach yourself from trying to fit into these sort of sections and, and, and like formulate your own sort of style? To be honest, um, so I started to just figure out things. I had a therapist. So to do the art psychotherapist masters, you have to be in therapy yourself. Okay. So... To be honest with you, I was like, great. Um, I continued. So when I quit the masters, I continued because what I started to find was the templates that they were using and applying with me were not in line with me being Sikh. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly finding myself challenged my therapist because of the stereotypes she kept pushing on me when it wasn't my truth. So when they have one template of but you've come from a culture that really disrespects women and they don't really like women because of blah, blah, blah. No, I haven't. That's not my culture. I'm Sikh. Yeah. That's not my template. So if we've been written out of history and then I'm standing in front of you telling you that this is who I am in my vessel, but your piece of paper and your clipboard doesn't say that and doesn't see it, does that mean I don't exist? Because I'm here. That's, uh, yeah, it's, I think that's them stereotypes isn't it like because if but when you delve into the actual religion and again maybe this is where the religion and the culture sort of uh is is contrasting but when you look into the religion equality is a big thing from very early on like there's 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 no difference Major. exactly but uh per- perhaps i don't know if it's ignorance if it is obviously like the, using a template for anyone that is of color or, or if it's if if they're looking at, at cultural differences more than religion it just sounds a bit weird because you should be a bit more um, open-minded and adaptable, especially if you're in therapy. To be honest, it's got nothing to do with healing. So that's when I realised in hindsight, my parents taking me to India and for me to step foot on my motherland versus me sitting in a a room with a white woman and a clipboard judging my life. Yeah, I want to take going to India. Yeah, yeah. That's much better than any medication I've ever had. So I do, like I ask people in terms of like fourth, fifth, sixth generation, where you want to sit there and call like young melanated men angry and blah, 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 and put all these labels on them. Um, have they been back to the motherland? Do they have any connections to their roots? Probably not. So yeah, I'll be angry too, you know, because you keep telling us where we've come from. And again, it's just from a very colonized perspective. So yeah, it's very triggering. And then when you've got one, one, just one perspective of my response and my me challenging you and that I'm angry is even more belittling. I'm like, you need more words for your vocabulary. Totally. Like you're just an angry little brown girl. No, 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 no. I'm assertive. I've come from assertive women. Mm-hmm. I've come from strong women. I'm spirited. Let's use that. I'm challenging you. I'm speaking my truth. So from time that I was then taking this therapy in um it was basically in labrick grove uh there is a cemetery kensal rice cemetery that i would kind of just take a walk every day after this therapy session because i just felt it would open my mind up and i needed a day to just process what's opened up for me 
Mm-hmm. And this is where I started to say, like, I was definitely then in tune with understanding. I'm communicating with God. I'm asking the right questions. I've surrendered. So I'm walking and I see a plaque on this lovely, like, massive, like, building. And it's a plaque for Jind Kaur. In memory of Jind Kaur, it talks about Sophia Deleep Singh. And I'm like, that's random. We don't bury, like, we cremate. Why would they do that? Blah, blah, blah. And then to be honest with you, very serendipity. It just started to make me want to research, figure stuff out. Then I'm learning about the suffragettes movement. Before I got hit with meningitis, I was going to take, I was taking a trip to Jamaica. I'm on the aircraft in 2016 on a flight to Jamaica. And I've got the travel book, like the travel magazine you get in the airplane, talking about Nihang Singh's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, this is random. Then I'm watching a film and it's a suffragette film. So again, I'm like, oh my gosh. And again, I'm already sort of saying to myself, I know for a fact there's going to be no representation of women of color in this film. And I was, I was triggered and I was going to figure this out. And then to be honest with you, in hindsight, I was like, for the first time, I have watched a film where I've seen white women be treated like trash by white men. Yeah. It's not the stereotype of just brown on brown or black on black, all of that stuff. Um, so for the first time, I was, I was able to sort of have a bit of solidarity for other white women, going back to like the femme fierce thing, and how much they're probably still in their fear because they got treated like trash. I've seen this recently. I don't know. Um, I think it was Maharaja Dalib Singh, but his, he, he, he's the one that came over here, isn't it? The, and, and they've got his he like... stolen and bought here at the age of like four. So isn't yeah, one so of he was his, human trafficked by Queen Victoria. Wasn't one of his daughter, daughters yeah. part of the suffragette movement? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, Sophia Deleep Singh. So she was, and that, like, rights was zero unless you had money. So again, you got to put into perspective that she used her power, and this is very Sikh, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that it was for all of humanity. It didn't sit right with her that only women with money were the ones that had the power um, and they weren't able to vote, but were still getting taxed. So, yeah, it's very fair, fair in terms of like who we are as people and what our, our mission here in this realm is. So she was somebody that I just felt really quite connected to because, again, it was kind of said that she was very much into fashion and blah, blah, blah. That's our culture. That's our roots. Yeah. So, yeah, it was almost like, oh, wow, you know, other than Sophia Deleep Singh, the only woman of colour that I've ever felt any kind of connection to growing up myself in the 90s was MIA. And that was, again, someone that's come from Sri Lanka as a refugee coming in England and needing to be really, like, out there and constantly criticised for just having a voice. Mm-hmm. Those are my choices. So then how, how did you sort of get out of that, like, um, I don't know what the right word to be used, like bubble, I guess. Like, how did you sort of like establish you? Like, how did you clear your thoughts? Obviously, you're getting told uh, by your therapist one thing and you, it's not really sitting right with you. And then you, you're formulating your own thoughts uh, on these walks in the park. Like, what was, was there a defining mm. moment or was it a very like a slow process and, and just figuring out yourself? No, it was totally um, like I'm still in the process. To be honest with you, that's when I start to realise like, how much we are not living our lives. Um, so I just say that I, I'm now really plugged out of like the mental slavery and I feel like I'm here in my hookum, as in my divine order. 
so people will talk about you know like white supremacy and the elites and blah 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 and and how you know um we're all like just victims of racism again all of those things are to keep us enslaved so i say to try and challenge that that's up to you whether or not you're looking at this planet like it's still a white supremacist or whether you're looking at this planet like it's gods because for me i'm looking at it like it's gods so I'm not listening to these rules and these templates and all these things to keep us low. Um, so to be honest, when I start to have this communication with divine and start to realize the more that I created, so I say this, all of my pieces on my Instagram is my story. Everything that I painted was coming from my pain and suffering. So my pain and suffering was being transferred onto paper. And then I was being given more and more signs to a point that I've now ended up in Mexico. So what I started to realize is between me and God, I'm not here to kind of sell this as a template that, oh, look, guys, just come and follow this and blah, 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 because that's part of slavery. So any egomaniacs on the oppressive stage that really need to have that, you're still enslaved. We're all equal. So if we're saying that we're all equal, there are no gurus here. There are no people that are going to kind of like give you some touch of like healing. Like, no, you do that for yourself. We've all got the connection to do that for yourself. So when I started to realize the system that was created for mental health was actually completely the opposite because what I was going through was an awakening. But before I could reach the awakening, you're giving me meds that I would be then a zombie and enslaved. Yeah, no, I'm seeing straight. Thank you. I'm not enslaved. I don't have mental health issues. So, so is this is this revelation like quite recent then? Because obviously you're still saying you, you weren't going through the process, but is this like... A, within like the past couple of years, I think you said 2016 is when you had meningitis, did you say? Yeah, yeah, so I basically, all right, so from let's say 2014, I started to then hang out in very white spaces. Um, and when I say that, I mean by a festival circuit. So again, I didn't realize how I was being seen, but all of a sudden I'm on trend. So at no point did I think at this point, because I'm still in my wounding, still in my perspective, coming from Hounslow, that I was just ticking a box, that I was that one brown person that's now looking as part of a crew of artists and a collective, because all of their work is about Black Panthers and people being oppressed in America. Mm-hmm. The reality was they didn't care. It was just a subject matter and they were getting paid. And every single time that they were doing that, Black Panthers that are being still on death row and in solitary confinement, every single time that they get plugged into mainstream media in England, they get put in solitary confinement back in America. Did this woman that was making art of them give a crap about that? No. So she was a white supremacist who had zero heart and then was using me to literally just be there to look after her children. So I was like, what are you doing, God? Seriously. So I did constantly. The more and more deeper I got in, I just thought, what are you showing me? What are you? Oh, you're showing me the system. You're literally putting me in the oppressors' houses so I can see how much, how far this thing has gone, that they genuinely believe that us women are stupid. They genuinely believe that we're enslaved. So now I see it as I'm being let in places that my brothers would never get let in because they're going to look like a Sikh man that's spirited and he's going to get shut down. They've been doing that since 1979 in Southall by the way so again I had eyes growing up in Hounslow I used to see the gang members who were the holy smokes the Tutinungs these like the Apaches 
those were all the young lads that were constantly being picked on by the police. Why now, whilst in that time, the punks and these people that are now calling themselves like these activist artists were not getting even like touched by the police. And they weren't the ones doing the real work. They were the ones that were using us as like just subject matters. The ones doing the real work were getting put in prison or being called alcoholics or druggies. That's where I'm at. So I'm now going back to start to realize that how much we've all just been played because we were first generation here. And really, from my perspective, the influence that Sikhs have had has been a major threat. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that last point, definitely, because obviously, again, going back to numbers and things, because I, I think it's for me anyway, because I'm not very, I don't know, uh, I'm I'm not very much into the spiritual world yet, maybe, but I'm very mm-hmm. much like numbers on paper. And and when you do look at population percentage versus GDP income, which is pretty much what matters, it's 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 always disproportionate in a positive way. Where six whichever country they're in, especially this country, is like where I think we're one percent of the population and around ten percent of the GDP, something like that. And obviously, like right. that influence is is is, is very strong. Um, and right. it is everywhere you go do you know I mean like every country you go that there was a heavy Sikh population which as we've already spoken about is pretty much all over the world that influence is there that because, was partition yeah because yeah. because we're, we are hard workers and uh, we're entrepreneurial and we, we get things done <laughs> um, absolutely and to be honest that's our spirit so when we get things done it's done very quickly to a point that people are quite fascinated by it so unless you actually really know your worth as a Sikh outside of being like within our culture and our communities you don't actually know so when I started to be showing these very white spaces it was more their responses towards me that made me realize my worth because yeah. I weren't getting that feedback in my spaces that we're all we're all matching we're all reflecting each other so only until I kind of came out of that did I then look back at Southall I got invited in to like celebrate the 40-year anniversary of the Southall protests and just start to get to look at things a bit more deeper because I was there. Mm-hmm. Like I was there growing up at the time. Um, so I did, I started to then realize that, hold on a minute, this was all off the back of racism. So from when Windrush and immigration happened, how happened because there were certain jobs that to beneath people in England to do those jobs. And if we read between the lines now, what that means is you didn't have compassion to be able to deal with those jobs. So now I'm starting to realize when I was sat in that master's, I was, the reason that I walked out was that I realized that there were people in that room that were paying to be taught compassion. I had it. I don't pay to get compassion. That's my roots. That's my spirit. Mm-hmm. I need to get out. So I'm not, I'm not having this being sold back to me. This is who I am. So that's when I left. Well, I realized, right, this is what this is. It. This is what's happening. So really, if you put it in perspective, I call them like our parents' generation. I was definitely one of them, like a job's worth. Mm-hmm. We're so in line with our spirits and, and our connection to God that we don't need to be micromanaged. When you're given a job, you're going to do the job to the best of your ability because that's all with God. What ended up happening in between that time is people that didn't have that connection were basically taking advantage of us. So they were keeping our parents in positions that they should have been promoted to managerial because actually they were just doing that and it was keeping everything flowing. That's been a 40-year cycle. So actually, it's those ones that have now been pushed out of their jobs. And now you've got third, fourth, fifth generation that aren't like our parents because they're like me. Next generation thinking, well, I'm British. I'm angry. I don't want to have to do those things. Like, we were born and raised here getting our heads kicked in and studying and doing everything that our mum and dad want. So we've been working overtime for what? 
not on it. So then I start to realize that even us buying properties, that was off the back of not being allowed to rent properties because apparently we stank of curry. Meanwhile, every pub now wants to sell curry. How is that not us influencing a trend? It's, it's funny because the national dish... And now everyone wants England, their own property. The national dish in England is uh, a chicken tikka masala. Genuinely is, like, if you Google it. Right, but apparently, uh, like, 40 years ago, we were told we stank. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it's exactly That's what it is. That's a mockery. It was, um, you, you see, I mean? all the time of, like, yeah. what is it? Uh, no dogs, no Indians. Do you mean like uh, above like uh, pubs and and no and, Irish, yeah, yeah, that's it exactly, and and you see them all, all the time back in the day. Like I, I like to think that things have progressed because uh, I, I I'm optimistic, <laughs> but sometimes you do have certain encounters which which make you think, uh, maybe have they and sort of question things. Um, no, totally. It's still it's still so deep rooted for yeah. me, like the racism and the institutional racism. You know, because we do, we still see people, like I say, people still seeing through colonial eyes that you've got people now that look like me and will be arguing with me as to why they believe because they're textbooks and they've got an A-star in like mental slavery is telling them that I've come from a, a third world country that do not respect women. And I'm not holding them in it. The same country that have goddesses depicted in stone carvings before colonization. You sure about that? Do you want to recheck that? it's ignorance you know? and i think people want to oh people would always like to tell other people what to do and what to think do you know what I mean like and and that's exactly yeah. what's happened in this situation as well like it is is interesting i always say that i i think racism will always be a thing and and again we we, we did touch on it before it's, it's, hate. it's hate yeah but yeah. it's i think it's, it's more ignorance i think it is more ignorance yeah. of not understanding the other person and we can't say that we're not uh, immune from this, and I say we as in as in like our totally. our culture uh, community because we no, still totally have we and we have like um, Hindus, Muslims, and Sikhs don't exactly get along most of the time. That sort of is always there, and I think that always will be there, but I think it's becoming quote unquote less popular. So uh, obviously, back in the day, like the the times that we're talking about, it was the rage to oppress, and now I think because if you have any power of position of power your um views are directly tied to and i go back to money because it literally is the thing that everybody is like uh, you need it to survive do you know what I mean so it is a very fundamental thing for most people in western countries or i mean developed countries. in western i was just gonna say yeah. in western countries you need it to survive but if again we can break it down back to like before we got colonized how the colonizers were even seeing um wealth is vegetation wealth is like soil that will grow good food yeah it's not money that's what they gave us in exchange for it as collateral which was not real exactly so again we need to just break that down yeah just to finish the point i was was just Mm. about to say that like um i think that it becomes less popular because now people get fired over things like racist tweets or a guy did blackface five or six years ago or a person did um this derogatory term or a video came out or an audio file came out of them saying something and there's more and more of them happen and more more of them people lose income which is as we say is very fundamental in a western country in a developed country i think it's becoming less and less popular probably less and less vocal but i don't think you can ever eradicate ignorance because of differences do you mean like i think it will become less vocal it won't be out there as much but it will 100% still be a thing 
But that's how I see it anyway. Like everyone's got their own uh, own opinions and things. But I feel like the the past year as well, I've seen a few incidents where people have been on video and um, basically said a racist term, uh, uh, whether it be on their like private Snapchat and somebody's recorded it and then boom, they've lost their job. The regional manager of a car warehouse or something and next day. Well, that's good gone. because to be honest with you, I mean, I think that's great because I I mentioned it in my blog. The reason that I even left my job in Topshop was soon after my grandfather had passed. That was when I think, you know, the racist slurs and whatever hit a bit more deeper. Because mm-hmm. I didn't really take on board, like, how much our grandparents or our parents have done for us to be here. I was still with my little blinkers on thinking I'd made it because I've got a scroll and a picture, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was actually the triggers. So, again, this is when I start to realise I'm communicating with, with the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, my boss basically had made an error on my pay. So I basically had questioned her about it because I was supposed to be getting double rate on that day, time and a half. But I had basically said when I'd asked her, oh, wasn't I supposed to get um, double pay on that day? She was just outraged firstly that I had challenged her. And then secondly, instead of saying the time and a half, I said double. So she was like, double? What boat did you get off at? Oh, wow. And to be honest with you, yeah. So that, to be honest with you, it was the first time, people might have said that to me loads of times before, Mm. But I had only just done my grandfather's eulogy and had only just learned my grandfather was 16 and left India on a boat to Africa. Yeah, yeah. There was probably about 25 people on that boat. Probably about six of them made it, one of them being my grandfather. So I was like, that's what fucking boat I've come. Sorry, but I was very angry. Mm-hmm. In that moment, what I wanted to do was knock her out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, of my spirit, I was like, no, no, no. We haven't come this far to do stuff like that. You need to go above her. So I literally went through HR. They then said, oh, bear in mind, this was a manager of Topshop in Brixton. A very like highly like ethnic minority area. And this is this woman's views and how she's able to speak out loud. So it turned out that she was needing to go on a diversity training program. So this is why off the back of my complaint. Um, So I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start using my power now from an educated perspective and not from like an emotional perspective, because actually that's what's happened to all of those lads Mm -hmm. who are now being put in prison for all of those things. So I just started to think I need to get smarter. My grandfather didn't do all of those things for me to then just be a sellout. So I need to level up. Like, I don't think he'd done any of those things for me to be working in top shop making money for Philip Green. Nah, mate. That's when I was like, right, get out, Philly. So that's when after that, I'd gone to India, then I'd come back, did the Masters, walked out. So the reason of me even walking out in the Masters was we sat down for one whole day's training to raise awareness about FGM. The woman that was facilitating this training program was a white woman who, by the end of the day, literally just told us about the poor little Somalian girls that get cut, and come back and get sold abroad and blah, blah, blah. What's and then FGM, on the certificate, sorry? FGM, female genital mutilation. Oh, okay. So um, by the end of it, she was going around the class and then giving us all certificates. And the certificate had said, this person has successfully trained in a day's program of FGM, the prevention of FGM. So I put my hand up and I said, I'm sorry, I'm confused because at no point have you said to us how to prevent FGM. 
everything you said has been about after it's happened. Yeah. So actually, that's not preventing anything. You're just dealing with some trauma after it has happened. At the time, I was work, working in Acton, which is uh, a heavily um, Somalian like populated area. Uh, I had reason to believe that those kind of things were happening. So from my perspective, I'm there doing a master's because I genuinely want to do this work. I genuinely want to help these people where it seemed all the other people were just having a certificate that they can stick on the wall to say they're doing the work. But they're not doing the work. So I said, I really wanted to know by the end of the day, do I A, kick the door down and I'm going to get support from a police officer to know that this woman is about to get cut? Do I B, report it and a police is going to come and do that? Like, what's the protocol? What are we saying? Yeah. Nothing. We're saying nothing. So I was like, again, I'm not selling out. I'm paying to sell out. I'm not paying six grand a year for a master's to have a piece of paper on my scroll on my wall and be like, yay, I made it. And then I've got to die, face God, and be like, nah, sorry, I sold out. Sorry, God. Nah. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, I remember when I was at school as well, is the, the amount of like, uh, so in Newcastle, there, there isn't as many Sikhs as down south. There isn't as many coloured people, to be fair, uh, generally, as, as down south. Um, black, Asian, anything is mainly white. And in my school, I remember there was one incident and it always sticks out to me because it was like the sort of prime example of what isn't happening, uh, which was uh, so uh, I'm in a science lesson or something. Um, some kid calls me a, a packy buster or packy cunt, one of the two. Uh, I end up headbutting him. Um, he goes out crying, and then we both get called to the head teacher's office or the deputy head's office. Um, he's like, "What happened?" I goes, "He called me the p word. I headbutted him. Um, yeah, that's basically what happened. Like, if if he didn't call me the p word, I wouldn't headbutt him." And he basically did the whole like right, you've done something wrong, you've done something wrong, we'll just call it quits. I don't have to write a report or anything. Boom, off you go. Uh, he didn't say that I don't have to write a report, but it is a, it was a school with a good reputation and I knew that was the case. Like if it went further, he would have to write mm. a report. Um, and, and, and that for me was always like the prime example of like, well, if anything happens, I, I, like, I haven't got any assurances from the school that I'm going to be safe or get ganged up on. And, no. and it often was the case um it, it's it's just one of them things where like you you go through them trials and tribulations you're and it, seen as a problem yeah exactly exactly yeah. and i was far from it like if people know me from school and stuff i'm like the polite kid i'm the the chubby funny kid at school that's what i was mm. do you know what i mean like i wasn't causing any problems but i'm mm. gonna stand up for myself i'm not gonna get trampled right. on um but that that one encounter Absolutely. for me was just one of them things where it's like the system at that that school in particular i don't know what other schools are like I, uh, if they're same or different I, I wouldn't know but that particular school just did not deal with them situations very well because racism did happen a lot but because it was in a very privileged yep. area and because they were bothered about their reputation just nothing was taken forward um mm-hmm. but yeah it, it, it's just yeah it's one of them things i don't know like i always try to see the positives and things and i try to see that like going through these trials and tribulations that not just myself, but obviously other people from different backgrounds did. Like there, there were a couple of like um, Chinese students, black students or descendants of, or like uh, like their parents were immigrants or the grandparents were immigrants. Um, uh, and I think, I don't know if I was the only person that got hate because I was overtly uh, proud of where I came from. 
um but i do feel like mm. learning experiences at the same time like it does make you stronger and it's a gift absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. i think that's the best way to see it to be honest like when i look back now um I don't like it. I don't like when people are doing that. Oh, poor you, you're Indian. Oh, and a girl. That, no, 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 don't do that. Mm. For me, I'm so grateful for all the things that have happened because actually those were all the things that needed to trigger me for me to then learn me better exactly. and actually be in a position now where I feel like I'm all right, you know. I'm I'm quite in tune with who I am and, and, and where I'm at. And I just think, you know, I care less about what other people think. So I genuinely think like I healed. So I think, you know, what I realized from going through this whole master's and, and mental health experience, but then doing art around that, art was healing, creating was, was healing. So that's actually your spiritual, like that's your chi. So mm -hmm. for you to be able to, everyone should be doing that. So off the back of COVID, again, I think it was genius because you started to realize so many people were made to sit with themselves that they actually start to connect with their creativity from my perspective, that was them connecting with their divinity. Yeah. So actually it's more, it's more, I think, like soul nurturing to know that you started the day with a blank canvas and by the end of it, you filled it up with this beautiful image. That's literally your life. You get to do that your whole life. Yeah, yeah. You know, but they've just limited that so much to a point that people have been sat convincing themselves they're living their best lives by doing nine to fives, earning big wads of cash having a massive house that they now have to be quarantined and stuck in and probably can't stand the sight of versus mm -hmm. me living in a little mud hut on a hill i don't pay like rates people here don't even have a bank account literally the flow is between them and the, the earth that they're living on mm -hmm. yeah i want to go full circle i want to go back to the uncivilized ways that everyone in glastonbury and burning man and all these new age festivals desperately want come on guys wake up it's that um it's like escapism versus just living in the moment isn't it it's like the people who uh, you've referenced there that are in that like cycle it's just they're escaping something constantly when they're at work they want to get out to go home but when they're at home they want to get out to go somewhere else and then they're always just trying to escape the situation they're in whereas you're just running from yourself yeah that's it absolutely exactly. do you think your your art has um been a reflection of your journey so far like has it evolved over time as you as you've become like more uh aware absolutely. and yeah yep absolutely i um basically when i quit the whole masters thing and whatever i then obviously said to you that i started to work with this artist collective um and still like you know my heart is always in working with communities um so i ended up working at a youth club in acton so that was the one that i was mentioning um, so I was doing like art workshops. The reason that I was even asked to do that was it was difficult to get young girls to engage. They were finding that in that area, young girls were kind of feeling like they needed to kind of get boyfriends at a young age or like try to like get out or whatever. So as a woman, it was sort of put upon me to kind of like create some sort of programs or some packages to be able to then get these young girls to engage. And it worked, to be honest with you. Like it was great. I started to make great relationships. So what should have been just like a four week contract ended up being like two, three years. So from doing that, that's when I started to realize that I was being supported by like Waiguru to do what I wanted to do outside of the system and like doing a master's and pinning people down and like electrocuting them. But actually I've just created my own thing here. 
So I was working from doing the whole nine to five, five days a week. All of a sudden now I've got the opportunity to work three hours every evening, three days a week. And I can live off that. So I was like, great. Okay. So then more and more contracts came. Then the cuts happened. Soon as the cuts happened, I started to realize and read between the lines as to how much now all of a sudden statistically, well, actually between that, the whole riots happened. So the riots that happened in Ealing and then on paper, it looked like most of the young people that were very disobedient were in Ealing. That was all off the basis of racism. So again, I didn't realize that my kids in Ealing and acting because it's actually a highly ethnic minority and immigrant area are the ones that are now being picked picked on and being the prisons being filled with do you see what I'm saying so actually that's when I start to sort of go back and read between the lines knowing I've got brothers of like the same age I know how much they got picked on growing up to a point that my parents moved out of London because they, they just couldn't deal with it anymore they knew that that's not my brothers but that's how much as a spirited Sikh man you couldn't be that guy in England unless you were just doing a nine to five and I am complying. Not seek. Yeah. There's only so much you can take. Is is the um are the workshops that you were referring yeah, to? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen, I've seen on your Instagram. Is uh, is it like, is there a video on there? I've seen that you were doing like a, a workshop with a lot of kids and, and doing like a lot of drawing. Is that the workshops you were referring to? Yeah, so basically I started to realise that what I was able to do was hold space the young people have like either a graffiti workshop or like a sewing workshop or a nail painting workshop, whatever, whatever I can kind of apply to the young people that were there. Bearing in mind, there was about, from one day, you could get about 10 to 15 young people come. Another day, you can get about 45. So I started to just realize that there was a bit of magic in doing creative things, but actually having conversations around that. So you're not sat like me and you, because this is quite intimidating for a lot of young people, especially if you haven't come from the academia. And I know that because I was one of them. Whereas if I'm like this, drawing something, and you want to talk to me, then I'm happy to talk to you because you're not looking at my face. So it was less intimidating. So that's when I started to realize that I was tapping into people's psyche I was starting to learn about them from a perspective of how they fill up that page on the wall it gave me insight to them as a human being more so than what they were even aware of so sometimes I could call out their magic before they even realized they had it so actually it was really powerful so then it just started to have more and more and more like that so I just thought hmm something's happening so then I started to understand from therapeutic practices I started to through these elite spaces get invited into things around sacred medicine so then I was told about ayahuasca I'm told about peyote DMT again coming from my spiritual background I don't really do none of those things it's not really in my in line with who we are and it's not really something that I was kind of like even confident to do um it scares me you know and then I started to realize that when I was sharing things on my social media I paint mandalas I paint things to do with my culture I've been going back home to Africa and India from six months Mm -hmm. so when I'm then creating these things and then people are inboxing me to ask me what type of mushrooms did you take to make that piece of art (laughs) and I was like really offended really offended I was like wow you think that I could just drop a, a, a something into my vessel and then all of a sudden I'm just going to create all these great things and it's got, no, that's really dismissive to my faith, to my practice, to my connection to God, to my connection to myself. So I started to resist it. And the more that I resisted it, the more it kept coming on my path. So then I was like, what are you doing, God? 
Why are you doing this? Then I realized that's their God. These Westerners don't have that connection. Imagine like growing up, not having any faith, waking up every single morning, realizing you've got nothing here. I couldn't live like that. So I was like, wow. So no wonder they've got to wait until their adult life to go to a festival to actually connect to anything that might be close to a culture and not feel uncomfortable because it's very white. You don't have the bollocks to do that back in Africa and India. You feel like an absolute idiot. So now I start to realize that I'm being shown something else here. And actually, I'm probably not realizing how rich I am and how much I've come from real wealth in terms of spiritual practices and my vessel, my molecular structure. I, it's this skin that I'm holding. It's this that I'm, do you know what I mean? So all these practices where like, all the answers are inside. It's not jargon. It's real. So my grandfather passing and me being upset that I've, I've lost out all this time. And no, 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 that was when I finally first really started to connect with my menelin. And actually my grandfather ascended, ascending, leveled me up. It's constantly giving me signs. Yeah, it's good that you could take like a, a negative and make it into a positive because a lot of them times like situations like that are like make a break for people. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, and unfortunately it wasn't a breaking point, but it was a making point. And as you say, leveled up. Um, what what is like the future for 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 you now? How's how, what, do you think about it often, or like are, are you gonna stay in Mexico for a bit longer than planned? Or? To be honest, yeah, I'm staying. I feel like this is me forever. So again, in terms of just patterns and our molecular structure, and I guess you know matter and pattern, and you want to go sciencey because I am. I love science, and I yeah. think you know it's very important for people to apply that to to all of this new age like spiritual practices, and you know. It's being gentrified. We've got to understand that. So when they're starting to talk about um, Johnson & Johnson patenting, uh, patenting um, ketamine snuff versus a plant that has psilocybin called mushrooms here in Mexico that isn't being used, it's because of money. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So actually, I feel like I've been bought here to just be able to call out all the stuff now that I've been learning back home in England because they're here, they immediately put me on a pedestal because I talk like this and they assume that I've come from education and wealth and blah, 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 that I'm like, all right, God, let's do this. But finally now, my voice is being heard and actually it's being influential. So as soon as I rocked up here, I was hugely triggered by the, um, the the very white, pro expat communities i was like let's start calling them what they are i know that i'm staying here on a on the basis of being a refugee because actually i'm not going back to a better life i'm staying here because it's better here so let's start calling it what it is right so i'm here on a refugee status you guys aren't expats you're immigrants your immigrants the same that our parents were called immigrants when they came from their africa or indian countries and went over to england Mm -hmm. so stop it so I'm here to just kind of change the language, um, challenge the language, and to be honest with you, also just be living proof as to how rich your life can be outside of the monetary system and inside God's wealth. So just for an example, me being in Mexico for the past year, I have learned how to stick and poke tattoo. I yesterday went on a course to learn how to make cacao, chocolate from bean to literally end product. I'm learning how to do silversmithing because my grandfather was actually a blacksmith. So it was something that I've always wanted to do to learn how to make my own swords. I'm already being supported in that. 
I'm not being funny, but all of those things would be very heavily priced degrees being sold to us back in England. Yeah, I was going to say. No, I see go. straight. Because that now is right. like one of them superfoods, isn't it? Like in this book. So we go back to that book before. <laughs> and it's another sacred medicine, to be honest. The health benefits so again, are crazy. They're incredible. So again, I was like, yeah, I'm staying. I'm staying. I get to just do art in exchange for food and water and shelter. I've not, I've not had any money. Yeah. Nothing. You know, so it's all exchanges because that's how the world used to be. It sounds, uh, it sounds very like free and liberating. Yeah, it really is. And it, to me, it was everything that I really needed to know existed to keep my faith alive and for me to sort of still keep trusting the process. So this is it. This is my proof to people that this is, this is my faith. Yeah. You know, and it's for everyone. It's not just for me. 100%. Um, just before we wrap up, because uh, uh, just conscious of, of time, um, mm-hmm. uh, I just want to say uh, a quick shout out to Art by TDR, because he's the one that actually uh, mentioned you in the podcast that we did um, and, and sort of indicated to me uh, uh, about about yourself. and, and Oh, that- bless. Awesome. I, see, I was going to actually ask, how did you even find me? But all right. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I so, have to check that as well. I'll watch that. A quick shout out to him because that was a dope podcast and he, he did uh, say nice. a few names and he, um, he recommended you very, very highly. So I started following you after that. Oh, and bless. That's, that's how uh, Amazing. Uh, we got in touch. Um, but uh, as I sort of said uh, before we started, is that I like to finish on uh, quick fire questions, the same five questions that I ask every guest. So um, I'm going to ask you five questions if you could make it like a sentence uh, or and just mm. what first comes to your mind. Um, so question number one, this is like really formal interviewee style. Yeah. So question number one is what are you most I know, proud I'm not of? Sure I'm gonna, what am I most proud of? My Sikh heritage. I guess that one. <laughs> what yes. are you looking forward to? What was? Uh, what are you most looking forward to? What am I looking forward to? Um, the whole world waking up. Uh, number three is what is your biggest motivation? Mm, love number four is what is your definition of success happiness and last but not least because it's the culture cast podcast how do you think your culture has affected you this far how has my culture Mm -hmm. i think um i am the epitome of my culture i'd like to think that that's who i embody so i in terms of like a diaspora and everywhere that I've been, this is my culture, my vessel. That's where weirdo comes from. So the word weirdo, which is my artist tag and name, means to wear your worth. So I kind of came from a generation where you didn't have a social media or a platform to give an insight to other people as to what your personality was. It was literally how you looked. That was your personality before you could speak. So yeah, I'm still an advocate of that. Smashed it, smashed it. I've, I've really enjoyed this, to be fair. Um, it's... It's a bit different to what I'm normally used to. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Awesome. But I, I like it. I like it. If you don't speak to different people, you're always just going to stay in the same rut. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, Absolutely. I, I've learned a yeah, lot. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed it as well. Um, I, I'll leave your... No, I have. Yeah, awesome. I'll leave your links in the description so people can check all of that out. Uh, go on um, 
Instagram at weirdo, but the link will be in the description and then check out some of the artwork that we've been referencing through through this podcast as well. Um, over and out, people. Nice one. Gracias.